On this episode of Doing Disney, we conclude our vocal performance mini-series with our five favourite vocal performances from the 2010s. Theme song guy. On this podcast, we let it go. Because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea. Because on this podcast, we do Disney. Hi there, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. We finally made it! We are concluding our Fast Play 5 mini-series of favourite vocal performances per major decade, and we've already reached the final episode focusing on the 2010s. If you ever watched Disney on DVD in the mid-2000s, you may remember the Fast Play option to skip straight to the film, so here on the podcast we honour that and skip straight to the five favourite choices of the topic. Start at the beginning! Uh, the 2010s, definitely when Disney started assembling their infinity gauntlet of different studios and developing into the almost monopoly we see today. Uh, so we have a variety of properties to choose from and some absolute box office juggernauts here. Here with me today, I have Robert Kastner and Jake Marangoni. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is incredible. Like I, 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 we were talking off air, uh, I call this the acquisition era. This is uh, Time Stone, Marvel's, uh, you know, uh, Space Stone. <laughs> Uh, uh, Star Wars, all that stuff. We just pick and choose. Yes. I thought this. I'm no longer a child era. That's also <laughs> a great way to look at it. Uh, so, as it should be said for every Fast Play Five, there are only a limited number of spaces and many amazing choices to pick from. So, hard cuts must be made. Fast Play Fives come down to favorites, as is every category on the podcast, and each person is entitled to their picks. Just because something doesn't make our list doesn't mean we don't like it. I encourage quirky, out-of-the-box choices because the theory of the podcast is finding out how various people do Disney, so it comes down to personal opinion and how you want to make the list. Robert, can you kick us off today with your number five pick, please? I can, and this is an audio podcast. You can't see what I'm wearing, but uh, this is going to determine a lot of how my list is going to go. So I think uh, when we came to this point, um, George Lucas has sort of Uh, tapped out a bit on uh, all manners of Star Wars content. He was like, you know what would be great? $4 billion. And Disney was like, that's cool. We have it for you. Uh, So then Disney went off on its own. And the unfortunate part about that was that the the movie business of that sort of went by the wayside in terms of the quality. And the quality actually started ramping up a bit more on the TV side. So my number five pick is going to be someone who we lived with for a long time, who we were introduced earlier in the 2000s. Uh, I'm going to go with Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano. And I'm going to pick her because when we first uh, are aware of her in the Clone Wars movie and then the Clone Wars show, she's quippy. She's she's spunky. She's uh, someone who's new on the scene. She's a Padawan. She's Anakin's Padawan. But then as we progress, and especially as we get into the Rebels era, I'm thinking more of the Rebels era, she's hardened. She's seen a bunch of shit. A lot of things have happened to her over her life sort of culminating in that uh, the Twilight of the Apprentices episode when she faces Darth Vader, when she faces... This is before freaking Obi-Wan did it in live action. Ahsoka gets to face her former master, and there's so much conflict within her, and not the kind that would pull her to the dark side, emotional conflict, because she's trying to bring this guy back. She knows a lot of things have happened. He doesn't really recognize her anymore, but there's a point when when she slices his mask... And, and he calls to her and there's, and the, the pain in her is so prominent that I feel like Ashley Eckstein needs to get her due. We know we're going to the Rosario Dawson level of live action, but 
you know, there's no Ahsoka Tano without Ashley Eckstein. So that's my number four. Well, that is an awesome way to kick it off. Jake, what do you think about this choice? Um, yeah, it's a really good one. I honestly I just completely forgot about Star Wars as like part of the Disney uh, continuity. So I just was like, oh, wait a minute. That's right. And also the there being a TV show definitely just was like, yep. Didn't even think of that. But no, I mean, I like Ahsoka, and especially since she like how Rob was saying, how she evolves from naive uh, Padawan to strong uh, Jedi Master or Jedi Knight um, through Rebels. Um, yeah, it's a really good ch- uh, choice. I unfortunately like stopped. I'm not, I didn't really follow too much of Clone Wars, and I sort of stopped about halfway through, um, probably when uh, the Cad Bane character got introduced. But um, yeah, no, it's a really good choice and uh, I like how the character has evolved. Yeah, this is this is a, like outside the box pick that I, I love for this podcast because um, I don't know very much outside of say like the core major released movies. And I don't even know if I include Clone Wars in that. Like I'm talking like the live action big ones, but you know the name, Asaka Tano. Never had to say it aloud. Never, ever had to say it aloud. Only you read it because that's my point. You know this name even if you are not familiar with all the extended universe because this is the one that really pushes through, in my opinion. And also the fact that, like, we don't get a lot of strong female characters in Star Wars. So I really love that she's taken up this mantle for and become this beacon for people as well. And I love that you bring up Ashley Eckstein as well because, yes, we are going to get Rosario Dawson live action, but... I agree. Like these voice actors are the people that make these characters, especially from the TV side of things, and they deserve all the respect. So I, I love this choice, Robert. Uh, Jake, what is your number five? Uh, my number five. This is tough. I'm just going to point out that I struggled to find to make up a, a top five, but I think I've got a five, and I'm happy with this. Uh, yeah, I'm already setting expectations. I hope. Uh, I'm going to go with. I would say one of the the underrated, uh, the best of the. 2010s Disney animated films. Uh, I'm going with one from Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I think I am a big fan of uh, Sarah Silverman's uh, Vanellope Von Sweets. Um, I really like what uh, Sarah Silverman gives to that performance. Um, One of my biggest or one of my uh, pet peeves that I have is when they cast uh, celebrities to play uh, younger characters and they cannot really have the voice to play to portray that character i love stephanie beatrice but i do not buy that uh maribel is a uh, 15 year old um she's just a little older than that um but i totally buy that vanelby is a 10 year old child girl like just that's just sarah silverman's voice but like she is perfect for that sort of character i love how bubbly and childish she is about like immature jokes um but she's also very quippy because of all that the bullying that's happened with king candy but she's just really just like just an energetic uh sugar as a character and i just really think that uh that she's really great contrast with um with ralph um and you see how they sort of play off but also she just really just wants to race and she has such a like a a go-to sort of uh uh, energy and passion that I think is really nice. And also I really buy that she's crying when, uh, when Ralph uh, destroys the uh, go-kart, like she really like, oh, that's um, has that like emotional scene. And it's so like, really powerful, but like I buy it from her performance. So yeah, my number five is going to be uh, Sarah Silverman from Record Ralph. This is on my honorable mentions list. And I think it is such a cool choice. And I think you nailed, hit the nail on the head. Sarah Silverman does have that voice that is like a bit squeaky and so suits this character. And I'll piggyback off of that. I love her just as much in Ralph Breaks the Internet. 
where we get oh, yeah. even a little bit more character development for her and she gets her own princess song. I love all her interactions with the princesses when it's when they go. She's a princess. Like, poison. She is a princess. It's like poison apple, like kidnap. She's like, no, do you need help? Like I love that line delivery. It's so good. Are you okay? Like that she's just freaked out by all the other Disney characters. Um, yeah, and and having that friendship and then that growth of what it means to be friends that don't need to be in each other's pockets all the time because that's a big part of growing up as well. Jake, you define this as your growing up era. I think that was a big lesson people have to learn as well is that sometimes you can be away from your friends and move away but still be really good friends. And I think that comes through in Silver Silver Moon because she goes on that journey with that character. So, yeah, good okay. choice. Robert, what do you think of Vanellope? So I just have to stare at water important water that's that's yeah. yeah no i i mean we're gonna get into it a bit later but record ralph's like my favorite 2010s disney movie so i was considering basically everybody of importance in this movie and they'll probably all have honorable mentions beyond who's on my actual list i think sarah silverman you never would have expected it when you see like the cast list and you come up and you're like who is she playing what is her dynamic with the main characters how is this going to play out? And she sort of fits a great mold, as Jake mentioned. She she plays off Ralph and their their friendship very well. She she's the non prototypical princess, which is why it works out when you find out she's a princess at the end of the first one. Like, of course she is, because in this world where everything is flipped on their head and we care more about the bad guys than the good guys, why wouldn't we have a rough and tumble princess who uh, is a bit inappropriate and laughs inappropriately at jokes and all that stuff and that. Is sort of expounded upon in the second one, as you mentioned. So, yeah, this is a great choice, of course. Everybody in Ragnarok. Right <laughs> My number five is going back to the realm of Star Wars. And what I think is the highlight character of what could be seen as a bit of a downer movie, in my opinion. Uh, I'm going with K2SO with Alan Tudyk. K2SO was actually my first thought when I was like when I had the idea for doing this mini series and I thought 2010 so like that was the first one to me because um I've been waiting to get to this Star Wars era because I actually really like what we got a lot in the 2010s I'm one of I'm not an apologist I'm not like a diehard but I just I enjoyed a lot of the, the Star Wars media we got and I thought the CGI characters in particular or CGI robotic characters were much more developed and well-rounded than what we experienced say in the 2000s with the prequels and such so K2SO I really like Alan Tudyk is sort of like what if we took C3PO but had the dialogue of almost like Dwight Schrute that's what it reminds me of very much. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's almost, uh, he's got that little bit of British imperialism that, because uh, he's an imperial droid. So we get a little bit of that stuffy uprightness from that inspired by C-3PO. But the delivery of the dialogue can also be very sarcastic and very deadpan. I'm thinking of the scene, it's like, um, I'll be there for you, Jin. Because Cassian said I have to. It's something like that. <laughs> it's it's that lost puppyish in a sense. Like he doesn't understand the world because he's just had his mind wiped. Uh, Sophia from the Golden Girls is also someone that it reminds me of a lot. Where it's just giving you those sharp lines because he doesn't know any better that he should be restraining what he's saying. And that really comes through with Alan Tudyk. I mean, you're talking like a sci-fi hero at this point so of course like he really does suit voicing a droid but uh robert you gave me a great reaction to this one what are your thoughts on k2so of course uh and interestingly enough when i was considering star wars stuff and i was thinking of movies the only person i thought of was like um simon Pegg as unkar Plutt, 
just because uh, my wife and I, anytime we say the word portions, we go portions, 40 portions. I completely forgot about Alan Tudyk because I was thinking more about how he develops as sort of the go-to voice actor Disney in person. Disney movies yeah. moving forward where he's Not like, certainly. who's the voice of the bird? Oh, it's Alan Tudyk. Hey, hey. He's kind of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cummings for Disney movies, yes. Disney movies. So I wasn't thinking about it, but yeah. And it's interesting how you sort of characterize him because, yeah, he is like 3PO, but I actually think he's more like 3PO who's lived in the world a bit and sort of understands stuff. So he knows how to connect with the mannerisms of a Cassian or like the rebels who do a bunch of stuff in the dirt. So the only thing I guess they have to fall back on is like their sarcastic sense of humor. And he sort of brings that out. So it's interesting how you sort of saw it. But yeah, it's a great choice. K2SO is sort of makes that movie. He's kind of the heart of the movie. He's the breath of fresh air that movie needs, I think. He's that levity. Jake, what do you think about this choice? Uh, he's my favorite character of the movie. I like Chirrut and I like Baze. I like those two, but um, I'm a big fan of K2SO and just sort of just the, the dead, like you were saying, the deadpan sort of humor that he has. Yeah, he's like the smartest person and he knows it, but he's still going to follow <laughs> orders because he has to because he's an android, he's a robot. Like it's that sort of mentality of just like, oh, well, I have to do this. Like I know I don't want to, but it's that really uh, interesting sort of personality that he really gives to the group, uh, especially during the heist at the end, which is really fun. And also he, he goes out like a boss. He goes out pretty quick. Oh, that death scene is definitely one that sticks out in my mind. Like, yeah, that's heartbreaking when he just lands on that control panel. Like, oh, and it's a robot. Like, but that's the voice actor coming through. That voice actor. Oh, totally. That that's all. all that I think a lot of it is Tudyk just really making yeah. you like the character a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's all in sort of his delivery and everything that he encompasses with everything even his physical nature because he's mo-capping it too is it there? absolutely robert what's your number four click please so you'll never guess but i'm going back to star wars uh i asked a question uh before we got on air about what would count in terms of voice casting and the interesting thing was i asked you about one person but then i remembered there's actually somebody else within that show Yes, I'm doing another Star Wars show, everybody. That'll keep you in anticipation. Uh, I'm going to take Queel as voiced by Nick Nolte in The Mandalorian. Uh, because it's weird. I never thought of Nick Nolte as like the grizzled person I want to take life advice from. I know he did it sort of in like Warrior and was nominated, but I hadn't really thought about Nick Nolte since then. But he, like, all we know about Ugnaughts is that they work on Cloud City and that they screw around and they give Chewbacca a hard time when he tries to get all the pieces of C-3PO back. We had no concept, unless you read like extended universe novels and comics or whatever. But we had no concept of Ugnaughts and what sort of they felt and how what their whole deal was. But he encompasses so much pain and history with the slave slavery that had happened with Ugnaughts and... Also, I want to give a shout out. Uh, Misty Rose, Roses, I believe, uh, plays the like the live action version. She was like the physical person. But obviously, we're doing vocal casting. I just want to shout her out. But uh, Nick Nolte, uh, I have to say, you know, that last episode of Mandalorian season one, two two characters die. He sort of dies at the end of the second to last episode. Two characters die: Queel and uh, Ig. I could have picked Taika Waititi, but he's a bit oversaturated. I don't want to do. It. So I picked Queel. When Quill dies, like he's the baby, I'm like, I hope Quill got back to the ship, okay? And then you find out he didn't get back to the ship, okay? Spoiler alert. And uh, I'm, I'm bawling. I was so sad. And we we took a break from him for like four episodes, but 
he was so quintessential and like the monologue he gives about rebuilding k2 or uh, ig88 and rebuilding like a murder droid to make it a helpful droid it's so incredible about like the human condition but these there's an alien and a robot we're talking about the alien condition but nick nolte has such a gravitas which is a weird thing to talk about with nick nolte in this era but Quill in the Mandalorian is so quintessential in that first season. So I had to pick him. He's my number four. Oh, uh, another absolutely outside the box pick that I wouldn't have even ever considered. But the way you just talked about it, like so passionately, like really comes through what Nick Nolte's bringing to that. So I think awesome choice. Jake, what do you think about this one? Uh, this is a, an out there choice that I absolutely love. Yeah, I was not, I was, when the build up, I was like, wait, who is this character? And then you say Nolte, I'm like, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, like, uh, it's such a crazy, because I remember watching the show and going, oh my God, is that Nolte? Like, that felt like such a weird thing. And I watched it like a year after the show was released. So I was just like, oh, where's Nolte been? Like, I haven't seen him forever since he was Gerard Butler's dad in the third Angel movie. Um, but. <laughs> I do think it's a really good vocal, vocal performance. And that's the one thing I really like about what The Mandalorian and I guess to a certain extent but Book of Boba Fett have done is allow just like these character actors or just actors that you just forget, like Danny Trejo or Mark Boone Jr. or even like Bill Burr. I was like surprised to see a performance like from him in that sort of context. Um, but it's really just, yeah, you really get to just see these actors and Nolte just is like, you know, he's been in the industry for like 40 50 years like he's been around so it's really cool just to see him still there and playing an alien character in star wars like that's something you would not have ever expected jake what is your number four pick please okay so we're going to i think this might not be the first time and i might have uh we might have someone we might have two, uh, the same character on, on multiple lists so i'm going with the mcu uh when you think of voice performances as it's not really a lot. There's there's a few amount, but I'm going with I think probably the most definable, the most memorable, at least to me. I'm going Josh Brolin Thanos in Avengers Infinity War. I can see some people probably thinking of another character, which I like, but I'm not huge on, but we'll probably talk about that later. Um yeah, I think the biggest reason why Thanos works so well is because of Brolin because he has to play multiple different sides of the character throughout the throughout Infinity War specifically, but throughout the uh, the franchise, like from Guardians all the way to Endgame. I know he's taking what if, but those are variations. Anyway, getting too sweaty. Uh, what I like about Thanos is, and what I like about Brolin's performance is that he really is able to show how compassionate he can be when he's talking with Gamora. Like you have that whole scene where they're at his throne. He's just like, I'm not, you know, like the way they interact. And he's like, I'm not upset that you didn't find it. I'm upset that you did uh, when he talks about finding the soul stone, but also just have like the moments where he can be cruel. Like you have the whole opening of infinity war with Heimdall. You have the part where he's talking with um, a Stark and he's like, I you know, even though he's like he can be a cruel person, wants to wipe out half of the the, the universe, like he's like when I'm done, half of humanity will still exist. Up. Like you have my, um, you know, my my trust, my honor. Like he's still an honorable sort of fighter, but like this is an, an end to a means, like for him. So I think that's really something that Roland really like showcases through his vocal performance. I'm gonna just shout out like I really love the moment when he snaps and he goes into like I think it's the Soul Stone, but. He talks to his um to the younger Gamora, child Gamora, and just like daughter, like the way he's able to just like articulate every word, I think is really cool. Um, but that that moment that he has, where it's just like, yeah, this is all because of what he's wanted to do, and it even 
Cozen to, to kill his own daughter. Like, I think that's really something powerful. And that's what I sort of view through his performances, his relationship with Gamora throughout Infinity War. I mean, he is essentially the main character of that movie and he's the villain. Like it's a, it's a really interesting uh, choice that they make. I like this choice a lot. Uh, I definitely feel conflicted with this character because Jake, I think you hit the nail on the head with the sort of range we see with him. Cause there's sometimes I feel like he is relishing in it, you know, relishing in being cruel. And then there's other times you really do see that pain that he's in conflict and he, he feels like he's had this burden or this task set upon him to do this uh, horrible thing and see it out. So I never know where I land on this character. Like, is it evil? Is it somewhat in, he thinks he's in the right? Like, and I guess maybe that comes with being a mad Titan where you never know what you're going to get. But yeah, uh, I think you need someone like Josh Brolin who has that gruffness and that seriousness to bring that quality through, especially that mocap, because that's something that could look silly or you would not take as much of a threat if you didn't cast the right person for that robert what do you think of this choice i love the mcu more than most i really don't have any mcu uh, performances on here i wasn't even thinking about josh brolin uh, i was thinking about through jake's and, and kelly your sort of addition to that thinking about where thanos was and then what he is in infinity war infinity war is almost like a bottle movie because like we see him, the only, last time we see him is at the age, end of Age of Ultron. He's like, I'm going to do it myself. And then he doesn't do it himself uh, because, well, he does it a little bit, but it takes him three years to get it off, takes his, time. off his chair. <laughs> yeah, to plan it out. But it's weird because in that point, all we'd ever seen him was I'm the guy who sits in the chair and I tell people what to do and I'm going to do this. And you better do it. And then Infinity War is like him after soul searching, I guess, for lack of a better term just trying to figure out the best course uh, to accomplish this task that has been thrust upon him. And uh, I like what Jake mentioned about how he interacts with characters. The, the, the conversation with Tony is incredible. I like the one he has before with Dr. Strange when he explains sort of the history of Titan. And it's weird. It's like someone coming to someone else's like town or like you go to a class and you're like, what am I learning about? Oh, I'm learning about the history of Titan. Cool. Because I was there. I was there and you weren't, but fortunately I have a thing that can show you what it looked like. Here's my PowerPoint presentation. Thanks yes. for the reality. <laughs> an interactive PowerPoint presentation, please. Uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to drop a large boulder on you. Uh, that's your, that's your gift. Uh, I love Josh Brolin in the movie. Um, I, I, it's that time capsule that, that capsule bottle of infinity war. I love the most when they go to end game and it's, the the 2014 version it, it's not quite as effective he's menacing and that comes through but how i feel and how i care about him is all sort of scrunched together within that one and uh for the list of of this quality as, as jake had mentioned having a bit of trouble trying to locate performances that sort of stand out this stands out so it makes sense my number four pick I'm sticking with um, robot characters in a sense. Yeah. I'm picking a 2014 character that is your healthcare companion. I'm picking Baymax, voiced by Scott Adsert. Uh, I am a really big 30 Rock fan, so when I saw this casting, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, like Pete Hornberger, let's go. But this is such a warm, welcoming, and a performance that, a, a word I haven't used to describe a performance in any of these shows so far, subtle. It's a subtle performance, and that's what I really like about it. 
this is that is what brings Baymax to life. And again, as as we, I sort of said about K2SO, it, it's these voices that are really making you connect to these characters because they're they're inhuman, but so you are the one giving them human emotion. And Baymax is just full of care, compassion, the way he just becomes a surrogate father figure slash caretaker oh. for hero. Yeah, absolutely. And and is that um now emblematic of um hero's relationship to his brother because this is yeah it's the stand-in for Tadashi basically like and it just that scene will always break my heart Tadashi is just one of the best Disney boys ever so that that kills me but then um Baymax could we get that relationship with Baymax and his crew and stuff and what I like about Scott Adset is the smaller moments so it's like uh fairy baby when he's like powering down he's almost like drunk like when he's running low on battery <laughs> those interactions there so he gets those comedy moments but then because it's such almost a deadpan is straight performance that's what makes it hit harder when Hiro's sort of doing the things that Tadashi would not approve of giving Baymax his kill chips and stuff like that it's like Hiro are you sure that you want to be doing that you know that very straight but you need you need that to come through for Hero to learn and grow and develop. So this is just a character that I find incredibly lovable while doing very little and yet the most at the same time. And I don't know how to articulate it, but that's what I like about this performance. Robert, what do you think about this one? I like this as a choice. You're right, Kelly. It's it's super subtle. It's like the team's mascot, which is funny because mm. you have a character who prides himself on being a mascot, but he's <laughs> the actual team mascot. But yeah, he is... He's the heart and soul, kind of like I mentioned with K2SO, of this movie, while not emitting a whole lot of emotion. It's done by how he interacts with everyone, how he plays off them, and the subtlety. Uh, I love this as a choice. Yes, 30 Rock. I I think when people are like, who's Scott Adson? You're like, well, did you ever watch NBC from 2007 to 2013 or whatever? Do it if you haven't, because, you know, 30 Rock is a prime NBC. It was like, it was on that Thursday night with parks and rec and the office and community that's the, Such the four lineup. shows you wanted to watch if uh, you were alive in the 2000s 20s so i no issues with this pick obviously um i love your committing to non-human characters i hope <laughs> uh possibly maybe <laughs> jake what do you think about baymax i'll go one step further and say that i love that your two picks are robot characters who act uh, and are better humans than the human characters in their in their respective films like that's pretty much what it is. Kelly, you're just like these humans suck. We need robot like, uprising. Let's robot do it. Robots know how to act human. They are caring. They're kind. Um, yeah, Baymax is like the 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 definition of a caring, like just human being. Like the way he really. I mean, he is a healing like robot. Like his whole point is to help people. And I think that really showcases the sort of dynamic that he has with a hero who wants to turn him into a machine, which is like that whole contrast um, throughout the film. It's not one of my favorite Disney movies. But I'm not going to act like a problem is Baymax. And uh, I can't, what's the guy's name? The voice actor. Um, Scott Adson. Yeah. I'm not going to act like he's a, a reason. Like he's great. Like he's the best part of the movie, at least to me. Um, and I really think that that's, that's such a, that's also a, such a unique voice that when I hear it, like that's, I think of Baymax, like that's sort of become, it's sort of become iconic already. I remember like when the trailers come out you just hear his voice and it's like, oh yeah, this is Baymax. We all know who Baymax is now. Like it's been two months since the movies came out. Oh, it's already on the Oscar. Yeah, we know who Baymax is. Yeah, he's an icon. Like he's like Shrek when that came out, but we all knew who that was. Um, 
Baymax, I think a part of it is just that that's such a unique voice that he's able to capture and it just makes you feel uh, warm and that someone cares. Like, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would be remiss if I didn't do fist bump. You gotta do that. Um, Robert, <laughs> give us your number three pick, please. So I wanted to make sure when we were talking about going through this list and my favorites, I, I like when I'm surprised by a performance. When I go in and I'm thinking, I wasn't expecting this out of this person. What the hell, where was this the whole time when I was introduced to them? So in a movie that was highly regarded, that people have songs in it that people would sing over, 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 over again, you would think I would pick the one person, but I'm actually going to pick the other main person. My number three is Kristen Bell as Anna. And I'm picking Anna because I only knew Kristen Bell as the comedic actress. She was the person who was on Veronica Mars. I mostly knew her as the ex-girlfriend from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So I had no clue she had the singing chops that she did. So when we get to the first, you know, do you want to build a snowman? And, um, you know, love is an open door and, and everything at the beginning. I'm like, who's doing the singing voice? Wait, Kristen Bell's doing her own singing voice? Where the hell was this? I, I was unaware. And I think, honestly, she goes toe to toe with Adina Menzel in terms of singing. I I, I think Adina Menzel gets the, the high parts and she gets sort of the, the bluster and, and the gravitas. But I think without Kristen Bell, that movie falls on its face because she's so quirky. And the quirkiness comes out in the voice and comes out in the singing and how she interacts with Kristoff and Olaf and um, and uh, her sister, whose name I'm forgetting weirdly enough. Um, Elsa. Elsa, thank you. Uh, weirdly enough. Uh, so I, I, I just love Kristen Bell in that performance. Anything that can surprise me like that um, it just has to be noted. And obviously we want to... I thought like weirdly female performances in the 2010s weren't like there aren't a great number of them technically. Uh, there's a few, but I, I think... If you go into other eras, there's more. And I just wanted to make sure we highlighted a few of them. Uh, so Kristen Bell is on as my number three. Jake, you had a reaction to this one. Uh, this is my second. This is my number two. Brilliant. This, I, I, when I looked at it, I was like, you know, at the time, I was like, Frozen, overrated. I'm, you know, 15. I'm, I'm a boy. Just like, no, nah, I don't want that. We don't need this Frozen shit in our lives. I had cousins just watching the movie over and over. And the first time I watched the movie, it was there like a hundredth time. And they just recited every line of dialogue. And now I realize that, oh yeah, that's just what I do when I watch Spider-Man with people. So, you know, <laughs> it comes around. Uh, but when I, when I look back and when I was doing this, I was like, yeah, I really like Kristen Bell's Anna. Anna. Like she's really great in Frozen. Like Rob was saying, like I knew her, before as Veronica Mars. I mean, that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, and I really like her on that. And she is playing a completely different character that, and most importantly, a contrast with Elsa. Like Elsa is very cold and uptight and like because of her powers and they're sort of, they become distant throughout the, the years um, as they've grown up. And Anna still has that, just that wide-eyed optimism and naivete of the, of the world. And it's like, yes, we're finally gonna, we're going to be finally be together. I'm going to find a man. And it's that generic thing of like, oh, I, I want more as a princess, but there's something more to her. And you have the whole scene with, um, I'm blanking. Is it, it's, 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 it's Hans? I think is really nice. Like that that's guy? the love. 
Yeah, love is the, um, yes. love is an open door. Love is an open door. Um, that whole sequence where it's just like, oh, this is really fun to just see. Even though like I'm watching him knowing that he's the bad guy, like it was just really great to see that sort of a relationship. And then you have, um, is it Christian? I don't know. Like, yeah. I should have looked this up. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Groff, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Who I also can uh, briefly consider. Like, oh, it's all yeah. mentions at that point. But it's just really fun. I just really think that she's uh, has that bubbly personality that, that doesn't become annoying. Like, I don't watch that and go, oh, yeah, that's like, it's starting to drag. It really maintains a consistency. And also, the most relatable thing that I find with the character is that she wakes up drooling and with her hair all covered. I'm just like, yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. You guys just hit the nail on the head for all the points that I want to make. Um, what people really, what I found women in particular loved about Anna is they've been waiting for a princess that was relatable. They were waiting for a princess that was a bit quirky, that was a bit goofy. And I think it is in the the comedic timing that Kristen Bell is able to bring to it. So she's like, no, him, you're good, you're Jimmy. Wait, what? Like, oh, uh, sir, he is a prince. Like there's just those certain moments of delivery that she's able to bring to um bring Anna a bit more a bit more to life and be a bit more relatable and it is just when you really look at it she's really gone through a lot actually in her young life so to still keep that hopeful optimism and wanting to be part of the world and explore and just sort of find her place and make connection and without being annoying I think that is a really important point as well that Jay makes without being overbearing uh is is really to the absolute credit of Kristen Bell I, I like this choice a lot as a new dad uh we would put on uh, Spotify and we listen to Disney hits and do you want to build snowman is what my wife and I refer to as the saddest freaking song ever, <laughs> especially at the end when it's been like 20 years, who knows how long. And there's still a door between the sisters, even after their parents have died. <laughs> She's just reaching oh yeah. Out when it's, and there's no life when it's, I know you're in there. Like, why do you lock me out? I'm like, Oh, this is childhood trauma in a song. <laughs> Uh, Jake, you're number three. I see, am I number three? Um, yeah, so when looking at the live action Disney uh, remakes, I would say not a lot of them are, are great vo vocal performances, uh, especially when you compare them to their original animated uh, films. Uh, but there was one from one of the earlier live action remakes that I was a fan of. Uh, he's in one scene, or I, sh I guess I should say one sequence, but it's very memorable. I've always liked... John Favreau's The Jungle Book. I think that is a really good, not only remake, quote unquote remake of the 60s Rudolph Kipling animated Disney film. It's also a great adaptation of the book. And I really love Christopher Walken's King Louis during the one sequence. It's probably my favorite sequence from the movie, but when you think of like who King Louis is, I just, you just see Christopher Walken. Like he's someone who can just, be funny or just be so interesting just by the way he speaks it could be anything he he's in the movie he's talking about uh white fire and and just the way that he's uh red fire sorry he, the way he's just able to talk he just has such a a unique sort of personality that he just brings out with his voice and like his the way that he sort of plays with um Mowgli during the scene and even when he sings like Christopher Walken is singing like we're talking with, with Christian Bell. I mean, it's a brief part when he sings I Want to Be Like You, but um, it's really, you really see that sort of personality come out from him. Um, and I just, it's just great to see, like, you have the reference of the cowbell, which is always nice, but um, just, yeah, I, I, 
it really just it it really speaks to me at least when like I can remember like a character of a performance from like one scene. Like we have the you know the whole famous Alec Baldwin, Glengarry Glen Ross. Like to me, this is that with uh, Christopher Walken where you're just like, oh yeah, remember when Christopher Walken showed up in the movie and you're like, oh totally, like he's right there. Um, and I just think it's really fun to see him play like this just gigantic. Oh, I don't know. They February changed it to make it uh, make more sense for the movie, but like it's a giant ass orangutan. And it's great. Uh, no Disney live action remakes made my list. And I'm 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 somewhat of a fan of them. Like I, I can watch through, say the majority of them. I think the Jungle Book still remains like the highlight. Like it's it's still really good. Um when I first saw this casting of Christopher Walken as King Louis, I really didn't know what to make of it. And I was a little bit nervous actually when I sort of felt it coming up in the movie. Because like I think I don't know if it comes up on list, but Bill Murray is blue. Did anyone? That's like an honourable mention for me. That Honourable mention. Yeah, that sort of makes sense. Yeah, but I can pair those two together because Bill Murray's got a bit of a carefree, whatever, roll with it, snarky attitude and it suits Blue. But Christopher Walken as as a stand-in to say Louis Prima, especially coming out of like the 60s, it's, it's a jazzy era. That's the way King Louis is fluid and full of motion and you know that has got that scat um quality to the way that he speaks but Christopher Walken really takes that in a different direction where we get almost like mob boss King Louis oh, totally, that, yeah. works, <laughs> that works somehow like so, ears, has ears like the King way Louis by way of true romance true. <laughs> yeah. yes so I I like this uh reinterpretation of it it's uh, it it's it doesn't so much, it pays homage to the original, but isn't beholden to it. And I think that's cool right. to make that swing. Robert, what do you think about this choice? ABS, always be Simeon, I guess. <laughs> connect it. Um, no, this is great. I, there's a lot of people you consider from the Jungle Book. And yeah, I think for Disney live action remakes, it's tippy top. And I really don't think it's close. Like I think all the other ones pale in comparison on a bunch of levels. And yeah, I, I love the Jungle Book songs. They're my favorite. They're some of my favorite Disney songs. So when we got to that point, because I want to be like you, it's like, one of my, it's like a top three song for me, weirdly. I just love, I love the jazziness of it, Kelly, that you mentioned the scatting. And like, there's maybe 40% of real words and the rest are nonsense, <laughs> but it's done in such a way that's compelling. And I was like, what's Walken going to do to this? And he did what Walken does, which is he puts a spin on it but he doesn't do it in a way that feels caricaturous. It, it, it feels, it sort of is, but it sort of isn't. And that's the magic of Christopher Walken. And I think that works when you digitize and you build up King Louie and you make him up 70 foot tall orangutan, super orangutan. And he's doing this thing about how he wants to be human. And I think that fits in light of what they were trying to do to move the Jungle Book into the 2010s. So I have no issues with this. Uh, I haven't had an issue with anything anybody said, so just call me. <laughs> I'm just a facilitator. My number three pick, given what was spoken about earlier, I'm wondering if it's going to be a number one pick on someone else's list, so please give me a thumbs up if it is. Uh, my number three pick, I'm picking Ralph, John C. Riley as Ralph. We will circle back to that one a little bit later. <laughs> uh, Robert, can you give me your number two choice then, please? Yes, uh, Kelly, I can. Uh, interestingly <laughs> enough, one and two, I went back and forth on for days uh, because I was trying to think of what was most important to me. I kept trying to remember that this is favorite performances and not what I consider the best performances. So yes. that's what made me flip. Um, 
I'm a big fan of Latin American culture. I married into a Latin American family. And when people talk about scenes of movies that make them emotional, this movie from the 2010s uh, has one scene in particular that anytime I watch it, even if I come in in the middle of it, I will bawl like a baby. That's a scene from 2017's Coco. And that's when uh, little Miguel comes to his grandma Coco and he sings Remember Me. And I guess there's just something about someone who has like Alzheimer's or dementia and you're reaching out to them. And there's just moments of clarity that hit because of something that they recognize, sound, the smell, some sort of memory that they can latch onto. When that happens in that movie, I just feel so much. I, it hasn't happened to me much in my real life, but there's something about familial connections that can traverse any sort of disease or time or, or a construct like that. So I had to think about who I wanted to pick from it. So I'm going to pick Anthony Gonzalez as Miguel from Coco on the back of that, but he carries this movie. I mean, it's the same like sort of Pixar movie. It's a kid who's precocious who is being told, and this is big in Latin American culture, right? You, your family does something and, and you're sort of expected to follow in their footsteps and he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go off in the complete opposite direction, something that they vehemently oppose because it feels like it's in his soul and he has to get it out. And he does it in such a way that uh, he happens to uh, cross the, the barrier of death and you just see like at the beginning, he's, he's just someone who's trying to get back and he, he'll make whatever deal he has to, to make that happen. But then as he delves further into what had happened in the history of the family, you can see him growing and being like, I, I realize that my dream isn't as important as making sure that my family stays intact, whatever that means. If it means I have to give up on this thing I want the most, just so I'm back there and just so I can save my grandfather and his spirit and the history of him and the memory, I will do that. And that coinciding with the crescendo of him singing that song, he sang other songs and he's great that way too. It's just a powerhouse performance. It gets me every time. So I'm, I'm going to go with Anthony Gonzalez as Miguel. This is a phenomenal pick. Uh, my favorite Christmas ornament I have in my tree is uh uh, Miguel, and you push the button and he sings The World Is Me Familiar. So, like, I listen to this voice, like, yearly. I'm like, we just put it in the time and you start singing Senora, Senoras. Like, it's great. I love uh, – we talked about in the previous episode about um, child actors not acting childlike, but I think this is another really good example of it, uh, especially sort of when he's speaking at the beginning of the film about his different family and his life in, in the plaza. It's like, dipple, no dipple, dipple, no dipple. Like, it's got those little – quirky cute kid moments but you're right the absolute um gravity of the situation that he also needs to carry in, in his voice uh really just does shine through uh this is a awesome pick Jake what do you think about this one uh yeah, did not expect this to be uh to be chosen mm -hmm. um I I have not seen Coco in forever so I'm a little uh blind on uh on on the on the voice on the voice vocal performance but um yeah I remember thinking that it really like that's one of the good thing about the the one thing I really like about Disney is that when they cast child actors, they are like at the top of their game. Like when you look at characters like Moana and um, and now I'm blanking on anything else. Uh, like because Big Hero Six and like there's there's a lot, especially during that that decade where they like really were able to capture like just uh, 
uh, child performances perfectly. And I think also part of it is just how well the character is written. Um, but yeah, I think that it's um, it's a really cool character. And just also I've always liked uh, that how the uh, the relationship with his father in that movie and sort of the uh, about finding your father metaphorically, or even just like in the movie and how it sort of plays out. But um, yeah, it's a really interesting, I, I like the choice a lot. Uh, I was not expecting it. That's always good. Yeah, Coco is one of those like near perfect films. I think for me, like it is a top movie for me. There's really nothing I could fault in it. And you're right, that remember me scene at the end is just, it is the one that breaks your heart. I know the Book of Life exists, but I don't acknowledge that movie. No, <laughs> this surpasses yeah, it. That does not exist. <laughs> uh, Jake, your number two pick was Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell, Frozen, yeah. My number two pick, we're going to stick in the realm of Pixar. Robert and I lining up a lot, which is awesome to see. Uh, I'm going with what is actually my most favourite Pixar film, and I'm going to choose Joy, both by Amy Poehler. Um, this whole movie, I think, is actually quite perfectly cast. It's a powerhouse vocal performances. Uh, but when you have Leslie Nope herself voicing Joy, this is the, the, the cherry on top of the film. Um, what I like about this voice is the journey. She lets us go on with Joy. Um, this film, as, as I said, it's, it's one I really deeply connect to. And when you're talking emotions and things like that, um, what I find really fascinating is just the way that I interact with Joy as a concept through the film. So there's times where I find joy overbearing and there's times where I just flat out dislike joy. But then there's other times where you need her enthusiasm, you need her sense of wonder. I think in particular um, one of the scenes that sticks out is that opening scene and it's backed up by one of my most absolute favourite pieces of score ever. Giacchino knocks it out of the park with this the theme song of joy that do, 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 do. It's beautiful so Riley's coming into existence the parents are like a little bundle of joy and that really just sets us up on the journey and joy introduces us to what it's like to go through this these phases so the sense of wonder she sees when that orb is created for the first time and then it flip-flops in 30 seconds she goes it lasted about 30 seconds because then sadness comes into it and it's her interactions with sadness I find really interesting as well because it's that that forced politeness <laughs> anyone that works retail or customer service can probably agree with just how forced forcibly kind she sort of needs to be and keep an upbeat positive attitude about the situation but then there's that tenderness she's allowed to bring to it when she interacts with characters like sadness like bing bong especially towards the end of the film and it's just it's one that will always stick out in my brain uh robert what do you think about amy poehler as joy it's if it is if leslie nope was interacting with phyllis from the office yes. and we were trying to figure out how it is that they connect together no it was great right because 2015 that's like when the the end of parks and rec was happening so it's a nice transition made a whole bunch of sense yeah it's it's interesting because they're emotions so they're like this these singularities that live inside someone's head so it's interesting to see the growth of a singularity that you think can only has to be one note. That's what Disney and Pixar does, right? They take concepts or inanimate objects or things that you don't think should have a range of anything. And they give them this range and it's all backed up by who it is that they put in the vocal performances, the writing and the scores as well, which in Inside Out comes together beautifully. I love this pick. She would be an honorable mention for me. Um, I just didn't have it just because there are other ones that I, I latch onto a bit more, but inside out is a beautiful movie. Um, I, I love how it is that you set her up Kelly and, and uh, talking about where she is at the beginning 
and her different stages of how it is that she grows throughout the movie uh, and how you can see that as a person and how you can see it as a person who lives in the world with other people. And that's what she is. She's essentially a person living in the world with other people, but her world is inside someone's head. And uh, I, I think it's a fantastic choice. Uh, Jake, what do you think about Amy Poehler's joy? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be mean. I'm not the biggest fan of the performance. I'm sorry. I, I, it, it starts off strong, but I think it becomes a little too much for me uh, throughout, uh, throughout the movie. Though, when... Spoiler, I guess. Is this spoilers even? I was going to when... say, I needed to say at the start of the, of the podcast, like, big spoiler alert. Like... We all, we, we all, we all, if, if you're, if you're listening to Disney podcast, you've seen Inside Out, you've seen, like, the, this stuff. I just, setting everyone up just in case. But, um, but when Bing Bong dies, that, re- I think that really showcases, I, I think I really like what she's doing with that, with the character. And in that moment when she's looking at, it's like she's looking at the dead memories and it's just like that really it's more than just that she is that emotion like she doesn't have to be that all the time like there's a lot there's a complexity uh to the character that you you see a lot of during that scene um and also that's when she realizes that like oh it's not always about being happy like there are other ways of being happy is through sadness through anger through you know there's all that sort of stuff that they she sort of realizes at that moment um and I think it's really good when it comes to that, but there's a point throughout the middle and sort of the insta- instigation of the plot is mainly because of her. And I'm just like, oh, just please stop. But that's the point. It's a character arc. You know, you're supposed to evolve and that's what happens with, with Joy. So I'll, I'll give it a, a little pass on that. <laughs> uh, we have already made it all the way back to number ones. Robert, what is your number one choice, please? Uh, it was something that had been mentioned before. Uh, we skipped it uh, so that we could get to this point. Uh, I said I, I struggled a bit through two and one, but I had already referenced earlier when Jake had made his pick of Sarah Silverman. Wreck Ralph's my favorite Disney movie. Uh, I was a I was a kid who grew up on video games. I played video games since I was uh, had the ability to use these thumbs. Uh, fortunately, I still can, uh, and I it, it speaks a lot to me. And I I always am someone when I have conversations with people, I'm always thinking about like, what's it like on the other side for people? So like in Harry Potter, what's it like for like the other people who go, who are like in Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw and they're just like, we're just trying to go to class every day, but apparently there's people trying to kill us all the time. So what's their emotional experience like? So seeing a movie taken and a kid's movie, an animated movie, computer generated movie from the whole bad guy's perspective and that bad guys get a bad rap. Maybe we're just thinking about they have a role to play and that role we're so wrapped up in it. We can't think about them as, as real people. And that's why my number one is John C. Riley as Wrecker Ralph. Uh, the end part of that movie, the two speeches, uh, when he recites the bad guy um, quota or whatever, as he's going to sacrifice himself for Vanellope. And then at the end, uh, the line when he's like, and when the nice landers hold me up, and I can see into Sugar Rush, and I and you know the I can see Vanellope, and she's happy, and the players love her. And I just think, if someone like that can like me, I can't be all bad. And that I'm getting choked up just thinking about it, just saying it. Um, those two speeches, I knew John C. Riley is the same thing. Kristen Bell, I knew John C. Riley as the comedic guy from Talladega Nights, from Step Brothers. He killed it as that. I was unaware of what John C. Riley was as an actor, like 
the the rivers the rivers of wild or whatever it's called uh with kevin bacon and uh until i really saw chicago and i saw what kind of performer he could be when he does mr cellophane and that sort of plays into the emotional tenderness of ralph and he just embodies a lot of those video game bad guys but it's it's great because we get to see heart to him and how he interacts with everyone how he hates these people but he just wants to be accepted he knows what he has to do this is how he's been programmed but he doesn't want to live in the programming i mean that's the case with a lot of disney movies uh or animated movies where people are programmed to think and act a certain way and they just want to break away from that programming and you feel for him it, it you feel for him pretty early too it's not like you're just like hey you, you suck bad guy like we care about fix it felix and the people whose house apartment building you're wrecking. No, that's not what it's about. It's about finding the emotional core of people and not putting them in a box because they might surprise you. That's the same with Vanellope. That's the same with uh, Felix too. He, you know, he just seems like the dude who has everything and then things are taken away. He finds love. I mean, it's with everybody and that's through the course of Ralph's journey. Uh, I love that movie. I will love it to the day I die. Uh, and I love it's on the, big broad shoulders of uh mr stench pants uh record ralph as voiced by john c Ryan. so that's my number one. this is my number three pick and i i've got actually very similar notes uh for a while john c Riley was definitely one of those side characters i knew um and showing up in things like chicago chicago was my first introduction to him as a kid and so then when i saw things like talladega nights and even things like walk hard like those more comedic moments it, it is a smart casting to bring someone who can play comedic and who can play gruff and angry because we see moments where Ralph is is angry in the film when he beats up Vanellope's cards and stuff, but then you need to be able to pull back and have those softer moments and those moments of reflection. Just as you were describing it, I'm like, is Ralph actually the princess? Because he goes on a journey very similar to Ariel from The Little Mermaid of, not, of wanting to be, like, somewhere else, be where the people are, like, just change, be in control and change your circumstances. Um, the other scene I think of as well is the uh, villain bad guy, um, ugh, like anonymous meeting, so to, so to speak. Yeah, bad guy anonymous. I love, bad guy anonymous, yes. <laughs> it's, it's great. And, and as Zangief says, like, Ralph, just because you're a bad guy does not mean you're, you're a bad, bad guy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. But the delivery of even when, um, when he interacts with... Um, Satan gives him like pep, a pep talk and the John C. Riley delivers the sign and goes, oh, thanks, Satan. That is so good. That takes me out. It's Satine. Like that back and forth, he's able to bring, hit those tender, sweet moments as well. So, yeah, I, I think this movie definitely work, is better off for having John C. Riley as Ralph. And I wonder if anyone else would have been able to bring all the various qualities this character needs as, as well as he could have. Jake, what are your thoughts on this pick? I love this, um, this choice. Uh, yeah, I knew like John C. Riley only briefly, like <clears throat> this is why I was 14. So I, I, I remember thinking, oh yeah, the guy from Step Brothers, which I hadn't seen at that point, but just, oh yeah, comedy guy. And I think that's something that Disney are really good at is getting comedic actors and giving them really like dramatic characters. Like you, you really get that sort of, and it's a kid's film, but they really are allow them to play both sides to that sort of coin of like, yeah, we can really have the sort of comedic uh, nature of the character, but also when it comes to the, the, the gravitas, the weight of the dramatic scenes, 
they really showcase it through their, their uh, performance. I really like that one scene where they're both in jail and fix it. Feels like they've all treated me terribly. Like I just, you have no idea what it's like for me to be like this. And, and Ralph's just like, yeah, I do. Like I had experiences every day when we're working and we're, it's just like, it's a whole thing where you just realize that, yeah, this is just like my life. It's just, it's terrible. But yeah, that whole ending just like, I remember watching that with my brother and just, it blew me away. I was just like, I've not seen a Disney film to really end like this, where it's just like, yeah, the, the beauty and just the one moment I get to see uh, Vanellope happy, it just makes me happy. And that's just such a really nice, uh, you know, brother, older brother sort of uh, f um, uh, figure that he's become to her and that sort of relationship, as I was talking about with Sarah Silverman's uh, voice performance. They have such a contrast that it's really great to see how that evolves. and. Yeah, he, John C. Riley really like he's just someone who's so comedically uh, like just he, he has gotten his comedic nature so down perfectly that we forget sometimes how great of a dramatic actor dramatic actor he can be. Um, and I think this is just one of his best performances for sure. Jake, what have you got for us as your number one pick, please? All right, I'm when I so when I made the list, I there was one performance that just came that already. I knew I was going to have, and I knew it was going to be my number one. And it's like, when you said it can be any, it's all just whatever's part of Disney. I was like, perfect. I know exactly what I'm picking. Your number five and four picks were about robots who are nice and are better humans because they showcase what it is really to be human. I'm going the exact opposite. I'm going with a killer robot. Who's a robot who just is like, yeah, I've looked at humanity and I'm like, yeah, I don't really. Why? What? In order to, to make the world better, I have to get rid of them. I'm picking James Bader's Ultron from Avengers Age of Ultron. It's my number one pick. Um, I rewatched this movie like a month ago. And I was just like, I remember liking this movie. And I still like the movie. I think a huge part of that is because of Ultron. And it's because of James Bader. He's one of my favorite actors, weirdly enough. Like, I've always loved him from his startup um, in Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, which is a Soderbergh movie. I love Soderbergh. Um, and also, I've always liked his performance at Stargate and how he just decided to do it because he wanted a lot of money. But he is someone who is so esoteric. Like, he's not conventionally an, a lead guy. When you... And I think that really plays into the character. Like he's supposed to be the the, the knockoff version of uh, Robert Downey Jr. in a in a sense of he is a character who is very similar to Stark. I mean, Stark created him, but he has a lot of that personality. And you can sort of see he's the, like the darker version of what Stark would be. Like he has a lot of that personality where, like you know, that part where like we don't have to break anything. Clearly, you've never made an armlet, and then you got Stark. He beat me by one second. You have that whole point, like oh, Captain America. You're supposed to be the patron saint of america I, I can't physically throw up but if i could and you just have this whole thing where he's like he's quite funny and i think spader really is able to play with that and i think a lot of that also is just the writing like a lot of the dialogue i really like and whedon has always been a really good writer when it comes to that sort of stuff like you have the part where he meets the twins in the church he's like did you know that the uh, the people built the church in the center of the town so that everyone would be equally closer to to god is like, i like that the, the spiritual ge geometry of it and just the whole thing with him and just how he looks at the dinosaurs and how the meteorites, you know, cleanse the earth and 
the next step in evolution. He's like, well, this is the next step and everything will be just metal. And he's just has such a, you understand the, the personality that he has and his motivation. Like he was created by Stark to, to save the world. And as a robot, like this is why AI is terrifying. We should never create AI is that they're going to look at humans as the problem. And that's exactly what he sees. It's like, well, I, in order to, in order for peace of our time, I have to wipe out the extinction of the humans. And first I'm going to get rid of the adventures. I'm going to tear them apart. And he's just having, he's also just having fun with the character. Like there's the part, um, there's the part with, um, when he meets up with, um, I'm blanking on, uh, the guy's name, the drug dealer, the, the vibranium guy. What's his name? Claw. I can't believe I forgot Claw. I love Andy Serkis, director of Venom Carnage. Uh, when he accidentally cuts off his arm and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm sure humans can grow them back. Like he's he's really like naive uh, still about humans. Like he still hasn't fully under understand like what humanity is, but he's just like, don't compare me to Stark. Like he's really like, he's like a child in that sense of just, I do not want to be my father. Like I'm, I know what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. And um, yeah, it's just a really good performance. And I've always just liked the final moments between him and uh, Vision where it's just like, we are both just created by humanity. Like you are what they want of of me, and I am what should be the case of what we should do. And he's just like, well, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts forever. Like that's what humanity is. And he's just like, well, you are you're barely naive. And he's like, oh, I was born yesterday, which is a great line. But just the whole idea of Ultron just being like sort of tragic. And I was, I've always viewed him as that. And I think just Spader is just having a lot of fun with the character, and I just love seeing Spader. Um, I think this is such a really fun performance. I love that you bring up like Sex Lives and Videotape and Stargate, whereas I've been exposed to James Spader the most through Boston Legal. Yeah, Loving I was that hoping series. All right. Boston yes, Legal. Boston. And a lot of that comes through because this performance is all delivery in the sense that I want, and, and you need someone, as you said, to deliver that weirdness dialogue. I wonder if he had James Spader in mind while writing it because this is the only sort of way that he can deliver that lawyer grandstanding grandeur performances that comes through and then also like we know that he can get a bit dark and then he can mm. get menacing and that he can get threatening and it's all in that low tone in a slow very calculated speech pattern that james spader is able to deliver so i think this is this is one of my honorable mentions it's very memorable um i've got no strings on me like we saw that Sorry, in the trailer again and again. Yeah. <laughs> love that. Love that. Uh, Robert, what do you think of this pick? There are a lot of problems with Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> James Spader as Ultron is not one of them. He, I honestly, it's sad when he's dispatched at the end officially because you would like him to come back. Like when we see uh, in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, we see Ultron bots. I'm like, oh man, is James Spader going to come back? No? Oh, well, that's a shame. Spoiler alert, everybody. James Spader doesn't come back in that movie. It stinks. Uh, but either way, it, it's not his fault. Yeah, he embodies this playfulness, this I'm a child, but if a child was made of vibranium and could destroy humanity, so how, how do we you know, contradict that? Uh, I have a purpose. I have a philosophy that I've uh, sort of engendered and, and gathered in my going to the internet and reaping all the knowledge about humanity and how destructive we are. Uh, I don't care what, I, what it takes, even if I have to kill the first thing person I see. In that case, that was Jarvis, unfortunately. Uh, not fully dead, but I uh, tried very hard. Uh, so it, there's so much interesting dialogue and performance and voice cadence and all this stuff within that. 
that you just wish that the movie had been more linearly focused so that maybe he could have shined a bit more and we weren't thinking about all the offshoots of what it is Avengers Age of Ultron was trying to set up, which was basically all of Phase 3. But uh, yeah, he's not the problem. I forgot all about Spader, which makes me feel bad about myself and my list. So uh, We have reached my number one choice. It is the most basic, obvious choice, and I just don't care because I think it is the definitive voice of the 2010s. Uh, we talked about her sister earlier, but this is now the, one of the most recognisable voices. Robert, get ready to hear a lot of this for, for like the next 18 years. Like you are in for this. Uh, the voice of Elsa defines childhoods at this point, and Idina Menzel is just fantastic casting. I see it in schools now, like how many girls dress up as Elsa and it's the 10 year anniversary of this film. It is not slowing down. They just announced it's the 10 years. It's the 10 it is the years. 10th anniversary. Uh... I know, everyone feel old. Everyone go to go get your back checked out. Like that's where we're at at this point. Um, and I think a lot of the big, uh, the big part of the success of this film is casting Idina Menzel because we talked about it as well, where uh, we really have gone a bit of celebrity stunt casting. And I love that they picked someone who's got the pipes and the chops and from Broadway has that background as Elphaba um, to actually be able to deliver, let it go and make it be the anthem that we know it to be today. What I like about her as well is the absolute softness she plays as Elsa, um, because I think that is a really hard character to actually tackle because, again, sort of similar to Baymax, it's a more subtle performance at times. Um, and to play cold is difficult because you still have to be a likeable character and you need to go on that growth. And I think of the scenes in particular where she meets Anna at the coronation and Anna's really nervous to talk to her. And it's all in Idina Menzel's warm delivery of like, hi. That's all she's doing. She's got a really soft vocal touch to it which is so good to see then being able to contrast when she does do the let it go moment and actually start to develop into her voice her voice grows as the character grows and that's just so intriguing to see um I think this is this is a ballsy choice to not have such a um house what what would have been a household name at the time but known in theater community to actually go with it I remember coming home from Frozen and not, it, I saw it in the first couple of weeks of release. And so it wasn't like the big juggernaut success. Like it, it hadn't done a billion dollars at that point. And going home and looking on YouTube to find Let It Go and seeing the Demi Lovato cover, I'm like, that's just not right. That's not what I want. I want the movie version. And it wasn't until like a week or so later that they released the Idina Menzel version and the clip of her. They released doing the scene. Like, I remember that. Yeah, I saw that before the movie. I was like, oh, okay. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, going in, in absolutely blind to this film, this is what I just walked away from. So, um, Robert, what do you think about Idina Menzel as Elsa? Kelly, it is the most basic pick, but <laughs> that's fine because you're right. It She does engender and embody what 2010's Disney is. And you're right. It is interesting to pick someone out before other shows, before other movies had the idea of, like really finding unknowns just based solely on talent. I mean, we've seen that in other cases, but this really is highlighted in mainstream media with Adina Menzel or Adele Dazim, depending on who you ask. Uh, she... <laughs> Don't ask John Travolta. 
Yes, just don't ask John Travolta. Uh, I was wondering if you were going to pick her from Frozen, because I actually like her more in Frozen 2, interestingly enough. Um, Ava, but Ava it's Ava the from the Ava Frozen Ava. franchise. How do you yeah. feel about the Panic at the Disco uh, no, version no, of no, uh, Into the no. Unknown? That's not, I guess. That's yeah, it's on my Spotify. <laughs> I like it, but I yeah, know no, how it's going to stand. It's I'm great. A- I'm a big fan of Brandon Yuri Pettick at the disco yes, person. Yes. So it's fine. So, uh, no, it, it, she she is uh she's the ham she's the hammer, she's the wrecking ball of the movie. She she's a goddess, essentially. She's a god walking amongst mortals. How do you behave? It's like Watchmen. Like, what is Dr. Manhattan? He he talks in riddles and mysteries because regular people can't understand. So you would think someone who has a godlike power in this land uh full of people who don't she would be off put she would be sort of away from everyone and she does encompass that very well uh so i understand this pick completely and yes uh it's buoyed by the fact that she has these incredible vocal chops and it comes through in every song that she's yeah no i I love that point robert as well like the burden she has to carry and it comes through in that performance but she never being cold she never becomes harsh which is another point that I really like. Jake, what do you think about this one? This is, yeah, uh, I mean, spoiler, this was an honorable <laughs> mention. I, I was like, I, I don't know, is it is it justifiable to have two of the leads of Frozen in my top five? <laughs> like, it, would that be fair? Um, and I was like, I just kind of going to go with the one that I that really, like, stood out to me. But Adina Menzel is just, yeah, I didn't know her before beforehand. But, like, I had seen Enchanted, but I didn't know that was her. So then when after watching Frozen, I was like, oh yeah, she's been in stuff. Like she, mm. this isn't like a breakout role. Like she's been doing stuff. This is going to be the most iconic thing that she's ever done. And Absolutely. holy crap. But uh, yeah, and I think a part of like just the idea of Elsa being so cold and distant from everyone, but you totally understand. And the way Edina really just like, she, I mean, her voice slays. It's an incredible voice. And just the way that like she has, when the Let It Go sequence happens like it's such a powerful moment and i don't know how any other voice could have made that as iconic and like that the impact that that song would have because of her like she makes it her own and that's just something really relatable as a 15 year old watching that for the first time and being like yeah i'm way more into elsa just being like just everyone leave me alone i just want to be by myself but then she was courting teething before it was popular right but as growing up it's just my personality has changed and i'm just like oh yeah it's also it's nice to just you know want to be with someone and you know it's always good to just have someone who's there for you and wants to be uh, part of your life and i think that's the relationship between anna and elsa i really really like a lot and Dina Menzel is just really fantastic with Elsa. Like, yeah. And I even like her in Frozen 2. I think that's really good. Like, Into the Unknown, I really like. But oh, I can't remember the song. But when she goes to the ice Show place, Yourself. I was just about to talk no, about it. The fact that we get that whole Let sequence. It Go to then show yourself. Absolutely. Which, which you know, her mom's Evan Rachel Wood, which I also love and love her so much, um, would also have I thought of her, honorable mention. Uh, but, like, that's the whole thing where I'm just like, yeah, I think she really, uh, she really shakes a lot more in, in Frozen 2, which is you would not have expected that is really cool that's the end of our list jake let's stay on you what other honorable mentions did you have i'll just bring up my list again um yes so i definitely thought you were gonna go when you had the whole build up kelly i was like what is the most definable like disney princess character of the 20 of the 2010s i honestly thought you were gonna say uh mandy moore 
Rapunzel, but from Tangled. Because oh, yeah. that's a that's a huge one. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's like the start of the 2010s. That's a big one that I remember. Um, I had that one because I thought that she just has that really – see, that when, what I was talking about with Sarah Silverman of, like, older older actors voicing younger characters, Maddie Moore just perfect as, like, this teenage mm. Rapunzel, just, like – I just the wide eye optimism. Just I want to see the world, and just having that sort of like just bubbly and energetic uh, personality. I think she's really good with that. Uh, I I ne- I didn't I was never going to consider him for the top five, but I just wanted to write him down. Um, Willem Dafoe from John Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to because it's Willem Dafoe. Uh, he plays a Martian very well, and that voice. You know, he has to he had to learn a, a Marsh, the, the, another uh, a language, you know, a fictional language for that character. So I wanted to shout out him. Uh, one I almost had was uh, Ned Beatty from Toy Story 3. Yes. I think that's a really good villain. Um, I've always preferred uh, Prospector over Lotso, but he really adds a lot more with the backstory. And I think when you have that whole part where he's when, um, when they're – uh, given away or when they're forgotten from their owner and him and big baby uh that i think it was really good that moment where it was just like she replaced us and it's like you know she replaced you like that whole part but um yeah and, and last one i'm sure someone might, might mention this one but jason bateman uh nick wilde zootopia that's a really good one where he's sort of he's got the the george Clooney fantastic mr fox approach of just i'm gonna play like a snarky <laughs> con artist um and he's a and he's a you know a wisecracking uh uh you know, witty uh, character um, who I really liked from that movie. So, yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Robert, who only just made, wasn't able to make your list? Who are your honorable uh, mentions? I had a number. Uh, Jake mentioned a couple of mine, uh, so I'll bring up a couple others. Uh, Ali Carvalho as uh, Moana. Yes. I think she, she should be brought up. Totally, I like yeah. her very heavily. I just don't have as much of a connection to Moana. That's just me. I just need to watch it more. That's my problem. I I acknowledge everyone that that's my fault. <laughs> um. Going to another Toy Story, uh, Annie Potts as Bo Peep. Uh, we only knew Bo-, Bo Peep as like Woody's lady, sort of. Uh, you know, they kiss under mistletoe, I guess. Uh, but in that one, she embodies, you know, a strong female character who had to live on her own because she was cast aside. She was sold and she was off on her own. She's like this person in the wild. She's like Bear Grylls. Like the female toy version of Bear Grylls having to survive and figuring out any way to do it, and she and she's kind of uh, a big emotional part of that movie. Uh, so considered her. Um, going back to Star Wars, uh, Sam Witwer as Darth Maul. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of Twin Sons when he meets his spoiler alert eventual demise, like for real at the hands of Obi Wan. But like how he's he was he was a you know an acolyte, and then he got sawed in half, and then he was like, I want to be do what I can to envelop as much power and gain as much power as possible. And then it, it, from that point, it's like, I'm just trying to get revenge on, on anybody who, who doubted me. And honestly, in solo uh, beyond talking about kind of the things that we, we don't like about solo. Uh, honestly, I audibly gro- groaned when we figured out what Han Solo, how we got his name in the theater. It made me angry. But one of those things we're like, Oh, like Darth Maul's in this Sam Whitmer comes back and they're like, Oh, he works with Kira. That was very, uh, kind of thing for people especially if they like that um uh i mentioned taika waititi is ig88 uh, he's a robot character but he has a lot of heart he's a murderous robot but he turns into a heart of gold and caretaker for baby grogu so you have to consider him um yeah and then everybody from all these other movies we mentioned uh, jack mcbrayer uh yes from, from wreck it ralph um yeah i mean th- those are the main ones i considered that weren't already mentioned 
Yeah, we're well, speaking um, a bit beforehand, like I really thought this was going to be a hard list to actually make in the same vein that changes. And then I ended up with my longest honourable mention list because the fact that I have no one from Moana or Tangled on my list pains me. I definitely would have had uh, Donna Murphy, Murphy as Mother Gothel, I think in the same vein as Idina Menzel, taking people from theatre to actually be able to for the delivery, for the vocal performances, for those timing moments, the way she just gaslights Rapunzel to that whole film makes me so angry and it's all on the talents of that performance. They're like, oh, I'm looking at a beautiful young woman. Oh, and you're there too. <laughs> like just all <laughs> that. <laughs> I can't stand it, but that's what's that's the point of it. So it's so good. Um, Jennifer Goodwin and Jason Bateman as Judy and Nick, like such a dynamic duo. All the vocal cast have been side out, I said already. I think it's just so good. All the princesses and Ralph Breaks the Internet makes my heart swell. So I love all that. Taraji P. Henson is yes. Tom Kenny is rabbit in Winnie the Pooh. Taco Waititi for Korg. Korg and Ragnarok. He's got that Kiwi sense of humour and it slays me, especially the end. It's like, but the foundations are still there. Oh, the foundations are gone. Like, just stop with that. It gives, it's Flight of the Concords, and I love it. Um, Gail Garcia Bernal as Hector. I have yes, sorry, he's who I forgot. He was the other one I considered, Anthony Gonzalez. Yes, so good. And um, Alana Ubach for Mamo Melda. I think that's a really good performance as well. I think that's a hard performance to do, to be like a caring but overbearing maternal presence is difficult. James Bader, Ultron. But the one I really want to highlight the most is like my pseudo 5.5, like I'm – basically makes the list for people how much I'm about to talk about it. I'm so sorry. Uh, Rachel House in Moana as Grandma Tala. So the scene very much in particular is when Moana's on the boat towards the end of the film and she's basically giving up and she's just there and you see, oh, I'm going to cry talking about it. I, we've seen this in theatre twice and I've cried both times and I had laughs at me because I just can't control it. The stingray comes or the manta ray comes through in, this, in the ocean and Grandma Tala's there and is just telling her, like, I know a girl from the island. Oh, I'm getting chills. Hang on. <laughs> I know a girl from the island. And she just speaks to Moana at her core, which is about. But what Rachel House delivers, when we hear these songs in films, you can tell how pre-recorded they are in the sense that it feels like a movie or a TV show where it's just like, okay, this is our recorded song. We're going to slot it in and it feels slightly unnatural. Rachel House has this moment where she goes, Moana stay who you are she breaks and it feels like she's actually speaking with her and I think that is just phenomenal I think it transcends the film I think it's yeah I hear it on the soundtrack and tear up every time so uh taking a breath from that one (laughs) uh guys that's our list that's our honorable mentions thank you so much for joining me today it was an absolute pleasure to have you both on thank you bye everybody bye and we will see you all next time and when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod.